Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Man, um, yeah, so I got a lot to cover, so we're going to make it. <laughs> Let me get my phone out like I normally do here. There uh, we go. All right. I keep track of time. I'm not texting anyone. Not yet, anyway. Um, but um, isn't God good, you guys? Isn't um, yeah? God is awesome, um, and I don't know if you know it, <laughs> but he he um, he loves us so much. Um, you know, when you really catch hold of how much He loves us, you're just begin to love him and want to exude his love because he has loved us so much. Um, and I'm learning that the older I get and the more I know, get to know him, the less I know. <laughs> uh, but then what I do know is that he loves me. Um, in spite of my faults and, and frailties and all the baggage that I come with, he still loves me. Uh, and when I don't do right, he still loves me. And when I do right, he still loves me no less than when I didn't do right. Um, so who who does that? You know, sometimes our love is dependent on how well someone does or treats us. And it can change from day to day based off of how you love me <laughs> or what you do uh, or your mood. Uh, but God's love is consistent. He loves me. Uh, when I do right and when I do wrong, he still loves me. So I'm thankful for that. We're going to quickly, we got two focus scriptures, and we're going to jump through, jump, I'm just going to mention them briefly right now, and then we're going to go through some other stuff, and then we'll go back through those scriptures. But Mark 12:30 says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And that's Mark 12, 30. And then we're going to look at John chapter 4. We're going to probably look at all of 4, but we're going to focus right now just on, uh, let's see, 23. It says, but the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking, for the Father seeks such to worship him. So the title of this message is just The Father Seeks. And so we're going to be talking about worship and what that means and what true worshiping, worshiping the Father and Spirit and the truth, what that means. Let me to move some things around up here. So um, I think they may post, like, what how I study, I'm just going to, I always define words. Words are important, especially biblical in the Bible. Words are important. But even linguistically, words are important, and the meaning of words are important. So I always want to know the meaning of the word. I don't want to assume that I know the meaning. I don't want to think, well, because culturally it means this, and it means this in this context as well. So I always want to know the meaning of the words. I always... My first thing, when if I read a scripture, I'm going to go to, like, a dictionary, Webster. I'm going to look at Webster and see what the, the dictionary says that word means. Then I'm going to go even further and say, okay, what is the Greek 
form of this word, and sometimes if they have the Arabic, I'll refer to the Arabic, what did they mean, what was the intent when they said this at this time, what were they trying to get across? Um, because sometimes it could, those uh, variations in meaning can color the scripture totally different than what we assumed it to mean. So I go through, and I don't know if they're posted or not, but I go through and look up the Greek context and I look up my strong concordance. Uh, and if you don't have one, you should all get one. <laughs> uh, look up, and I'm not going to pronounce the Greek because I don't, I don't know Greek like that and I don't want to offend anyone. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I look at strong worship in the strong concordance 4352. It, it means to make obstinate, uh, to reverence, to do reverence. And the prose, it says, the Greek is prokunu, I think that's how you pronounce it. Because prose means towards, and kunu means to kiss. And we'll get back to maybe what that means, kiss towards. Worship in the meaning is to kiss towards. Um, and I looked up obeisance, uh, which is mean give, give differential respect, uh, gesturing, to bow or curtsy, reverence is deep respect for something or someone, uh, a, gesture in, a gesture indicative of respect, a bow or curtsy. A worshiper, as in John 4.23 talked about, uh, is akin to pro-kinu. Uh, the Greek word seek is zeteo, or zete, zeteo, I think, signifies to seek, to seek for, to strive after, to endeavor, to desire. Um, anyway, I look up the word spirit. Spirit is pneuma, uh, denotes the wind and breath. Spirit in this context is not uh, talking about the Holy Spirit because that's capital S, this is lowercase s, which means the spirit may be recognized as life principle disposed, of, bestowed upon men um, by God. So the spirit that lives within us. Um, our spirit that is awakened by the Holy Spirit when we become saved or accept salvation. Soul, uh, which is different from spirit, uh, there's some debate about that we're not going to get into, uh, which <laughs> includes intellect, emotions, will, and relies on our earthly senses. Um, truth, uh, Strong's Concordance 227, I think that's pronounced elitist, uh, primarily means to unconceal manifest. And that means, I'm like, oh, that, that's different. Uh, you get a different aspect of truth when you talk about unconcealing something or when something is manifest. Uh, true in the sense of what is real, ideal, genuine. Uh, that's truth. The real deal. You know. So I always look at, want to know if, want to make sure that we're all on the same page when it comes to what we're talking about and what words mean. So I go, so that's something I always do. I don't know, maybe some different people study different ways, but it's something I'm, I'm going to, almost 99% of the time if I'm studying, i got to have a dictionary and i got to look up the meaning of words. So that's just me. So we're going to look at, I have a question, just a rhetorical, please you don't have to answer. Uh, <laughs> have you lo ever lost something of great value to you and what did you do? Have you ever lost something of great value to you and what did you do? Yeah, you, you went looking for that. If it was really a great value, you don't just dispose of that and say, well, I lost it and move on. Most of us will actually go looking for what we have lost. Uh, and you just don't do a casual look 
like, you know, like your teenage kids would say if you tell them to go look for something, they just kind of barely open the door and look in the room and say, I can't find it, and come back downstairs. Uh, <laughs> that's not how you look for something of value. You really have to go through the room. You may actually start to clean up and move things around so you can actually find that thing of value. I recently lost my birth certificate. And so I had to go to North Carolina and get another one. It's easy to do. Not a big deal. But <laughs> don't tell my wife that because she was like, you need to find it. You lost it. Uh, but I had to look for it. So I had all these stacks of papers. I kind of had to go through paper by paper kind of looking for it. And, and, man, I looked through some drawers. And I looked in my closet. And I looked in my bag. That I all the, You know how you get new bags and you don't mess with that bag anymore? You put stuff in your new bag. And then you get another new bag. And I had like several bags that... Man, I hadn't used this bag in three years. Maybe it's in there. Let's look in there. <laughs> or I haven't used this bag since last year. Let's look in here. Look back. Uh, so, yeah, so I looked through it. Still didn't find it. So had to get another one. No big deal. Uh, but, yeah, it was of some value to me. So have you ever lost something? You kind of had to go through and look, seriously look for it, because it was of value to you. Luke 15 kind of mentions what people did when they lost things. It talks about the lost sheep. Uh, the shepherd who had lost the sheep, he had the 99, and he went looking for the one. It talks about the woman who had lost a coin of great value, and she searched the whole house, and she swept, and she finally found that coin. And then it talks about the prodigal son, um, how the father thought he had lost his son to the world, and he was looking, peering for his, his son to come back, and his son, saw his son come back and met him and had a great celebration. That's the kind of seeking that God is doing when he's looking for worshipers. It's just not a casual kind of looking about the earth to see if someone's worshiping. But he's seeking. He's looking through the earth to find worshipers. So that means that that means that that is important to him because like I said, you don't just go you don't turn things upside down to go look for something that's not of value. So worship is of value to God. Seeking is not done nonchalantly or haphazardly, but it is with purpose that one seeks. Use everything you have to seek. Use your eyes, your ears, smell, taste, touch. And I can see the God as in Genesis when he walked through the garden in the cool of the day looking for worshipers. He's walking through the earth looking for people who worship him. He's wandering around moving around, looking for people who worship him, who gets his attention. And he using, he's using all his senses, and they may be more than what we have. I'm only uh, confined by my earthly vessel, and those are the five senses I have. Uh, he's using everything he has to find worshipers. We're trying to find something specific. We look intently for that item. Nothing else will satisfy. So if I'm looking for my keys, just because you found my birth certificate, I don't want that. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it, but I need my keys now. Uh, and, you know, whatever you may have lost, social security cards, I lost several of those sometimes too. Um, uh, hats, I don't know, different things, money. Uh, but whatever you lost, you're looking for that. You don't want something else. And you may come across other things. In my looking for my birth certificate, I came across some other things that might be of some value. I might throw them away eventually. But, uh, I was like, oh, this is where this is. Okay, I'll keep that in mind next time if I want to use that. But that's not what I want right now. And so I'm still looking for 
the thing that I want. And so God is still looking for worshipers. He's looking intently for that. So nothing else will satisfy. Praise will not do if you're seeking for worship. Praise is important, don't get me wrong, but it is not worship. Uh, your service is great. You volunteering is wonderful. You singing on the praise team. You working in children's church. You helping out in ministry is great. But he is seeking worshipers. And that will not do if I'm wanting worship. That is wonderful. And he may put that, God may put that in his Rolodex of things that maybe he'll give you a jewel for. But I want worship. I'm seeking worshipers. Uh, he seeks, he's searching for something, uh, something of which he has lost, uh, something which he counts precious, something which he cannot afford to lose. Great is that thing he is looking for. There are many things that we cannot think of of letting go. Others may overlook the lost things. He cannot. He must continue in his quest to find worshipers. And he just isn't looking at someone far off. Because I can't look intently for my keys if the room is over there and I'm looking like this, peering from a distance to see if I see my keys. No, I have to go up into that room and get as close to finding what I'm looking for. He's coming as a father. So it says the father seeks. So he's coming with the attributes that we have relationship and I have, and I'm coming to you as a father I have fatherly love. I've come to you with fatherly resources and rights as a father. I have power and care as a father, just like the prodigal son's dad. He wasn't just looking aimlessly for anyone to come. He was looking for his son. So just not any visitor coming would satisfy his need to see his son. So that is what God is doing. He is seeking us and looking for us to worship him. He's looking and seeking for worshipers. And nothing else will satisfy. Worship is not a slow song. This is not the amount you place in the offering basket, which is important. Worship is not volunteering. Worship, worship is not simply lifting your hands or kneeling. Worship isn't praise. Because it is commanded in the Psalms that everything that has breath praise the, praise the Lord. And even the rocks will cry out. Praise is commanded for everyone. He's looking for worshipers. I don't need to look for praisers because I command everyone to do that. That's nothing special, even though I do want you to praise. Don't get me wrong. Praise God. Uh, But I am looking for worshipers. Yes, some of these things may be acts or expressions of worship, but they do not define what true worship really is. God is a God of hearts and souls, not rites or rituals. However numerous or gorgeous or beautiful they may be or what you may do, but it does not satisfy the need for true worshipers, worshiping. It may look good. It may be intellectual. It may be pictorial. It may be beautiful to the eyes and ears, but it is not worship. And it may gratify our need to feel like we have given, we've done our due diligence in giving worship, but God, we do not dictate what worship is. God does. And so, just because I feel satisfied, and I came in church and I lifted my hands barely, and I sang along with them a little bit, that I've done my duty for worship for the week, and I'm good. That does not fulfill. <laughs> that is not what God is seeking, uh, diligently looking for 
and says that there's great value in is more than just that. It may include that, but there's more to it as well. Worship is a full life response to the object of our worship. When we truly worship something, it affects the way we live. It affects what we do, how we do it, where we do it. It is life-changing when we worship. It is not confined to space or time. It is not restricted within these walls. It is not necessary to have a band and a praise and worship team behind you to do worship. Uh, It is a matter of the heart expressed through a lifestyle of holiness. If your lifestyle does not express the beauty of holiness through the extravagant and extravagant, exaggerated love for God. Extravagant extravagant and exaggerated love for God. When is no set time. It's not confined to just Sundays. Where no set place is not confined to your church or temple or your house. You can worship anywhere, everywhere, at any time. How do you worship? True worship is that inner man and everything else doesn't matter. And we just sung that. We just sang that in that song. Nothing else matters. And nothing else matters when we worship. Because he is the object of our affection. And nothing else can compete with that when we truly worship God. No one around me will bother me. Your kids won't. Everything falls off. It doesn't matter because I'm in the presence of the Most High God and I am communing with him and I'm worshiping him. The only thing that is required is a heart that is broken. Not a broke, not bended knees, but a contrite heart and truth is required for worship. Truth means that we worship based on truth that includes God's principles. He is worthy and worthy of our worship. It includes the truth about our circumstances. It includes the truth about who God is. It also includes the truth about who we are in light of God. We worship in joyful circumstances. We worship when there's difficulty. We worship when we have problems. We worship God. No matter what. Worship. He wants, he's seeking that. It is not uh, dependent upon how you feel. It is not dependent upon what's going on in your life. It is a constant that worship gets you in the face of God. To worship God in spirit and in truth is to declare that God is worthy of our reverence. We worship God based on truth of who he is and who we are and the truth of what God can do. Our heart is inclined towards God and in submission to him. We worship God when our ad- with our attitudes, actions, and words declare that he is worthy. So, let's go back to John 4. We're going to unpack some of those scriptures in light of what worship is and what what Jesus is really saying to this woman at the well. So starting at John 4 and 1, it says, Therefore, when the Lord knew 
that the Pharisees has heard, had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Talking about John the Baptist. Though Jesus himself did not baptize, it was his disciples who did the baptizing. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. And it's interesting, so I, I picked up on that. He said he needed to go. I'm, look, I'm reading through, through the, I think this is the New King James Version. Uh, he said he needed to go through Samaria. And so I was like, why did he need to go? He could have went around it, I guess. But the word says he needed to go. And I have to think that he knew who he was going to meet in Samaria. And he, know, he knew that he needed to speak to that woman at the well. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called uh, Sakar. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, the plot of ground where Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, uh, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So he had sent his disciples, and this and so he sent his disciples away, and they went to go buy food. But he would stay there by that well. And another thing that spoke to me was Jesus got wearied from his journey. So Jesus, in, even in his uh, deity, he still was limited by his human body, and so he, he became weary, just like sometimes we become weary in our journey. Uh, so he sat by that well. So there was a Samaritan woman that came to draw some water. He, Jesus said to her, give me drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy some food. Then the woman of, of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Now, if you know any kind of history about the Samaritan and Jews, they didn't interact with one another. So it was shocking for the Samaritan woman to be, even have an exchange with someone Jewish. Um, but they did. It was shocking one uh, Jesus, uh, Jews and Samaritans didn't speak. Uh, secondly, uh, men normally didn't speak to women if their, if their husbands weren't present uh, during that time. And then also that they would be at that well in that hour because normally they went earlier in the day and later in the day, but not in the middle of the day. So all of these circumstances, I think Jesus knew what he was doing. He set this up for this woman. Uh, and so the woman says, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her and said to her, answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Then the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing. So this woman is confused about what he's asking because she's, she's like, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. So you come to me asking for water, and you don't have anything to draw water with. Uh, where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us his well and drank from it, it himself, as well as the six sons and his livestock? So he's saying, uh, are you greater than Jacob and the people who own this well, that you're going to get water from this without having to uh, draw from it like other people have? And Jesus answered her and said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, talking about the well water. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And so the woman is a little bit confused. She says, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw again. So the woman is interested in this and says, Surely I will want the water 
that one, that I wouldn't have to thirst, and then that I wouldn't have to walk out and actually toil to get anymore. And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, you have said well, you have well said, I have no husband for you. You have had five husbands, and the one whom you are now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. So the woman, perceiving that, hey, how did he know my business like this? <laughs> says, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worship. So, so then I think this woman tried to change the subject because she was like, hey, you talking about me, talking about my husband and who I had and who I didn't have. Let's change the subject. Let's talk about worshiping on this mountain. And the Jews say that you worship in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So she was like, okay, you try to call me out. Let's change the subject. Let's move on. And Jesus said to her, said unto her, and this is uh, verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. So this talks about where we worship. So it doesn't matter. It's not going to be on this mountain or in Jerusalem. That's not going to matter. You will worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, for the Father is seeking, and the Father seeks such to worship him. God is spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, yeah, um, that's, some, that's some interesting things that went on, and I want to correlate to worship as well. So they were talking about water initially. In a well. And how do we get to worship? And I don't think it's, uh, I think it's not by happenstance that they were talking about water. Uh, because water sometimes in the Bible uh, can mean the word. Because uh, the, the scripture says, uh, husband, wash your wives. And using the context of washing, like water, with the word. Um, and so sometimes water can mean the Holy Spirit or also the word as well. And so in using that context, uh, being thirsty for water, and water being symbolic of maybe the Word or um, the Holy Spirit, are we thirsty for the Word? Are we thirsty for the Holy Spirit? Are we thirsty enough to enter in the worship that He was seeking? Or are we quenching our thirst with other things? Now, thirsty in today's context can mean a whole lot of different things, and we're not going to get into that. But <laughs> are you thirsty, or are you fulfilled with continually doing your earthly things that you're doing, and you're okay with that? Because it requires you, I think, to really enter in the worship and spirit and in truth to be thirsty. To really want it. It's not something that you can do kind of nonchalantly or whenever you want. But I need to be thirsty. And so when you're thirsty, as in this context, you're going to go to the well to draw water. And that will fulfill your desire for thirst. But then you want to go back. And this was a daily thing that people did. They went back to get water. Uh, and so... How often are you going to that place of worship 
to quench your thirst. It is the only thing that is going to quench your thirst. It's, it's the only thing that will fulfill you. All other things will leave you empty. Every I Trust me, everything <laughs> that this earth has to offer will leave you hungry and wanting more. And you may think it will be fulfilled in work, fulfilled in a relationship, fulfilled with friends, fulfilled with money, fulfilled with fame, fulfilled with career or job aspirations, education, all of that will leave you wanting more. And the only thing that will quench your thirst is worship, is meeting the Father meeting him and engaging him in such a way that it changes you, changes your desires, changes your inner man. This is not about me raising my hands, but it's about an inward change. And my inward change will bring about an outward expression, but it is initially always about inward. Worship is about changing me inside. It doesn't always change my situation. doesn't always change my circumstances, but it changes me. And it quenches the thirst that I have. Because we're seeking. We're, we're, we're looking. We're wanting to be fulfilled. We're wanting what we can get to fulfill this void in our lives that we have. And the only thing that can fill that is worshiping the holy God. And the Father is seeking. He's looking for you. And, you, and I can't replace your worship. And you can't replace my worship. My grandma can't worship for me. She can pray for me, but she can't worship for me. And I preached before, you can have faith for your friends, but you can't worship for your friends. That is personal. That comes with individual desiring to change and be fulfilled. I can't allow, I can't, you can't worship for me. It's, it's not. He's looking for you to worship. He's looking for individuals, worshipers who are seeking him, who want him, who want him. And he can only quench that. So that water that is in that well that she was initially going for, this woman was going for, will not quench what she really needed and what the father was seeking, which is true worshiping. Now, we went through, let me go back here, a lot <laughs> about worship. I think, uh, praise the Lord, you want to come up? All right, good. We're gonna, I'm going to keep talking about you guys. If you want to come up, you can. Yeah. <laughs> um, just want to end with the song that you guys sang earlier. <laughs> but um, true worship must be in spirit. It is engaging the whole heart. Unless there's real passion for God, there is no worship in the spirit. At the same time, worship must be in truth. That is properly informed. Unless we have knowledge of God, we worship. There is no worship in truth. So both are necessary to satisfy the God-honoring worship. The spirit without truth leads to shallow, overly emotional experience that could be compared to a high and soon that emotion will come down and you're left still wanting. 
And truth without spirit can result in a dry, passionless encounter that can only can easily lead to a form of joyous, joyless legalism. So you can't have one where you need spirit and you need truth. God informs scripture. The more we know about God, the more we appreciate him. The more we appreciate him, the deeper our worship is. The deeper our worship, the more God is glorified in our lives. Now, if we look back at those passages in Luke 15 where uh, he lost a sheep, the one sheep was gone, where the woman lost the coin and the prodigal son. After each one of those, when they, when God, when those individuals found what they were looking for, they had a celebration. <laughs> they, they went all out because they were excited and happy about finding what they had lost, what they were looking for. And I submit to you that when God finds worshipers, he gets excited about it. And he throws a party for you and he blesses you. When you meet him in worship, he is excited. And the angels in heaven are singing, hey, we found another one. You may have 99, but he's still looking for one more. And is, there, and is there another? And is there another? Is there another worshiper? Is there another worshiper out here? And he may gather some more. And he's still going to go out and say, hey, I know there's more out here. I don't have everyone. Is there another worshiper? You can stand to your feet. He is looking for worshipers. And so I submit to you today um, that you be challenged to enter in and worship him in spirit and in truth, not just with intellectual knowledge and not just with overzealous zeal and emotion, but with the balance of both. And not just here in these walls, but everywhere you go, let your worship impact where you are and change your environment. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.